Shalom Aleichem, Tayre Tuheres. Ich heiße Mirele oder Sophie Edelhardt und das ist Weiberteitsch. Heute wollen wir haben ein Interview mit Irina Klepic, angeführt von Zora Kiritescu. Irina Klepic ist eine Poetessa, Schreiberin und Aktivistin. Sie hat geboren geworden in einem Warschauer Ghetto in 41 Jahren. Ihr Tate, Michael Klefic, ist der Harget geworden bei Schetten Warschauer Ghetto Eustand. Ihr Mama, Rosa Perschikow, hat sich behalten auf der arischen Seite. Nach der Milchama, seinen Irina und ihren Mama emigriert in Amerika durch Schweden. In New York hat sie sich gelernt in öffentlichen Schulen und Arbeiterringschulen. Sie hat ein Baccalaureat von City College und ein Doktorat von Chicago Universität. Wie ein aktiver Feministin hat Klefic herausgegeben dem Journal Conditions und die Band Tribe of Diana und angeschrieben die Bücher Keeper of Accounts, A Few Words in the Mother Tongue und Nach Dreams of an Insomniac. Sora Kiritescu ist ein Aspirantke in Columbia Universität, wo es lernt sich jüdische Literatur. Sie schreibt ihr Dissertatia wegen Jiddisch und die zweite Qualie von Feminism. Sie arbeitet derzeitig beim Ivo und verbringt ein Kutzdem sehr gern in Kaffee. Lamir Herren sehr schmies, aber zuerst ein Lied, was heißt You Don't Own Me von Leslie Gore. You don't own me I'm not just one of your many toys You don't own me Don't say I can't go with other boys And don't tell me what to do Don't tell me Zuhörer von Weiberteitsch. Ihr sollt nicht werden zermischt. Ich bin fort Sandra, aber nicht Sandy Fox. Nur Sorale Kiritescu und heint will ich habe eine Schmuss mit Irena Klepfischen. Ich kann sich vorstellen, als etliche von unseren Zuhörern wissen schon ganz gut wegen ihr Leben, Irena. Aber fort erzählt uns ein bisschen wegen ihrer Geschichte, wegen die Kinderjahren, die Jugendjahren, die Aktivistenjahren. Seid ihr sehr gut? Das heißt das ganze Leben. Ja, das ganze Leben. <lacht> No, ich bin geboren geworden in Zeitfindung nach Hamel in Polen, in Warschau. Und äh, meine Mama und ich haben sich äh, durchgelebt. Ähm, und wir sind dann geblieben in Polen ein Jahr, nach dem Hamel in Lodz. Und danach sind wir gefahren in Schweden. Ähm, mein erster Sprach, meine Mama lasst uns gewinnen Polisch. Und, in Nordamelchamme ist gewesen das erste Mal, was ich gehört habe. Und wenn wir seinen Gefahren kann Schweden, haben wir gewohnt mit anderen Leben geblieben, aber es kommt gerät jüdisch. Aber äh, die Mama hat weiter geredet mit mir Polisch. Und ich meine, also ich habe alles verstanden, aber ich habe nicht geredet im Ganzen, nicht geredet, nicht gelernt. Und Polisch auch, ich habe nicht gelernt und nicht geschrieben. Bloß gerät. Und wenn ich bin gewesen, ich weiß nicht, sechs oder sieben Jahre alt, hat sie mir geschickt in eine schwedische Schule, habe ich sich ausgelernt Schwedisch. Angehoben werden Schwedisch, schreiben Schwedisch, lehnen. 
Und das heißt, wenn ich bin gekommen da, habe ich verstanden, Jiddisch, Gerät Polish, aber geschrieben auf gelernt Schwedisch. Habe ich Schwedisch hat im Ganzen verschwunden von meinem Leben in FGL sechs Monaten und habe angehäuft in englische Schulen und danach hat die Mama mir geschickt in eine jüdische Volksschule, Arbeiterring in der Bronx, wo wir angelegt. Und damals hat sich angehäuft die Probleme, <lacht> weil zwischen die Leben gebliebenen von den Bundisten, seinen gewinnersagten Menschen, die haben nicht gewollt mehr reden Polisch, im Ganzen. Und sie haben das Gewinnersagte Philosophie, Ideology, zu reden bloß Jiddisch und mehr nicht Polisch. Um, sie sind gewinnt sehr verbittert mit Polen, was hat geschehen in der Zeit von der Lohrame. Und sie sind gewinnt sehr bräugig mit der Mama, was sie Red gesagt mit mir Polisch und nicht Jiddisch. Und was ist geschehen damit von mir, ist es gewinnt, Englisch ist gewinnt sehr schwer, weiß nicht für was. Schwedisch ist nicht gewinnt, ist schwer, im Ganzen ist schwer. Englisch ist gewonnen sehr schwer. Und sie haben mir gesagt, ähm, gewollt, Stücken zu reden Jiddisch. Und ich bin geworden sehr, sehr, sehr schämt. Im Ganzen habe ich nicht gewollt reden. Viele auf Polnisch, auf Englisch, auf Jiddisch. Aber sehr haben gewollt, mir hören mir, soll ich reden Jiddisch. Und ich habe nicht gewollt. Habe ich mehrere gehabt. Ach, wir machen ein Tor. habe sich geschämt, Porsche geschämt. Und das ist geblieben, besetzt. <lacht> Und, ähm, ich weiß nicht, ich will sich nicht bequem reden Jiddisch. Ich habe gerade ähm, ein großes Gerangel mit Englisch. Und jetzt ist es für mich ein bisschen schämlich, was ich kenne, was ich will sich nicht bequem mit Jiddisch reden. Lehnen, ja. Herren, ja. Aber und es ist ein bisschen ähm, nicht bequem, was ich bin, die größte Jüdischist, gell? <lacht> und schäm sich zu reden. I'm a great, um, ich ich habe lieb zu reden wegen Jüdisch und wegen Jüdischkeit und jüdischer Literatur, aber ich habe nicht lieb zu reden Jüdisch, Poschet. Weil ich habe I'm embarrassed, God forbid I should make a mistake. And, um, and it's remained. Um, ich habe gehört, der Lehrer Chava Schechter hat mir auch mal gesagt, dass ich habe ein Komplex. Und um, es ist, mit Name ist es also, ich bin nicht, nicht fließig jetzt da. Ich bin jetzt gewöhnt Zeit, wenn ich habe gerät besser. Um, aber in den heutigen Jahren ist es, ist es nicht gering von mir. Da, I, when I came, I was, English was such a difficult language for me that I wrote even that I, till I was 17 or 18. I didn't have a language because Polish was inadequate. It never developed. Yiddish I was struggling with. 
Um, and English was this mystery to me that I never, I think it was because I just didn't want to come here and it was just, a, it was a psychological thing because I used to think I was terrible in languages, but when I look back, I was, you know, I handled four languages. Um, so I, I was a very, t I was very typical in certain ways, but I lived in two different worlds. I mean, I lived in this Yiddish world. I went to Shola and Mittel Shola Nafila Lehr Seminar. I have given them a course in literature. When I have had, when I've been after 18, 19 years old, and I got a, people always laugh when, and then I got a degree in Victorian literature. <laughs> But even in college, I had, I had Max Weinreich was teaching Yiddish at, and at City College. And I and Rachel Kaufman gedenk. We were going to go and see him, gebeten, that he gave us a course of Yiddish. He was teaching in this German department, only German. And here was this, at the time, in the 50s, City College was filled with children from Yiddish-speaking homes, and nobody, I mean, he had nobody. So he was delighted, I mean. And after that course, I actually studied with him and another person, it was like a private thing for a year and a half. Um, I did honors in Yiddish with him. I got a, when I graduated, I think the only person in history in City College who got honors in Yiddish and English, because I did honors in English literature too. And then it would sort of backdrop, you know. I just I got I got pushed back with the women's movement because um, everybody was looking to their roots and their community and where do you come from and how sexist was it and how patriarchal was it and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I started to I, and I've, I've told this story many times. Um, the Chicana writer, great great writer, Gloria Anzaldúa, who's a Chicana from Texas, it was somebody that I met in the very early 80s. And we, we roomed together for three summers. We were teaching in a special program, women's program at Santa Cruz. And we, when we first met, we became very good friends. But when we first met, we were kind of trading backgrounds. And she was telling me about being in her Spanish and all of this stuff. And somehow it came out, Yiddish came up, and she said, I'd written two books of poetry, and I had like two Yiddish words in them. One was Bashert, and the other one was Rebetzin. Those were the only two Yiddish words I used. And so um, she was kind of puzzled. She didn't, I mean, she wasn't challenging or anything. She just thought it was weird because she used Spanish so much. She couldn't understand, like, where did this language go? So I started thinking about it, and, you know, Partly because of my activism, I think, um, people look to me, partly because, you know, American Jews are obsessed with authenticity. And I was really authentic because I was from <laughs> Europe. I was a child survivor. I knew Yiddish. I mean, how more authentic can you get? And so I... I sort of, I was kind of pushed into, and then I had to, you know, people said to me, well, give me some Yiddish women writers. Well, I had had... Shola, middle Shola, seminar, and then to postdoc at at, um, at the Max Weinreich Institute. I, except for Katya Molodovsky, I couldn't name a single woman writer. So that pushed me. I mean, that really pushed me to start doing research and you know looking. My Yiddish, I think, revived at that point. And um, 
And that's how sort of my, I mean, it's, it was an interesting trajectory because it was not anything I planned and it wasn't, that, it wasn't that I was escaping for it. I mean, when I was growing up, there was no connection between my, for example, my two schools. I was in a, to, a predominantly Jewish neighborhood in a school that was 99% Jewish and we did Christmas and Easter. Never heard the word Jew or Jewish ever or a holiday. And in the Yiddish Yeshua, of course, English was like the enemy. <laughs> and there was no bridge, you know, there was just no connection between these worlds. It was like, it was this, and it was all very, I don't know, it was, it was confusing and it was very divided and separate. Um, so, I mean, I've been, and I became very committed to it. I mean, I think it, 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 it connected with my Bundist background, which I haven't even mentioned, but I mean, my whole history is with the Bund. I mean, the people that saved me during the war, the people that gave us the housing in, um, in Sweden, people that supported us here. I mean, my Bundism was always very deeply ingrained, and it was a great connection. I mean, the Yiddish was the connection with the Bund. Um, so, and it fueled a lot of my activism, even you know, even if it wasn't exactly visible necessarily as Bund. I think my commitment to certain kind of justice and a certain kind of vision of society, the socialist vision, um, was really interwoven. Was really interwoven with that. So was that enough? <laughs> well, so and what you said a little before, there seemed to be a bit of a. Uh, Dachte, das ist doch ein Stück Kritik in einem Amerikaner Zugang zu Authentischkeit. Zu was? Authentischkeit. Ja, ja. Kennt ihr sagen ein bisschen mehr wegen dem? Was? Kennt ihr sagen ein bisschen mehr wegen dem? Ich meine, es ist ein Problem. Ich habe einmal geschrieben, wie man sitzt in einem Zimmer und jeder eine guckt auf den anderen und meint. Und there was a list of questions like, are you authentic if you worked on a kibbutz? Are you authentic if you were, had a connection to the war? Are you authentic because you light Shabbos candles? Are you authentic because you know Hebrew? Or just, you know, it was, it's, it was, it's a, it goes on now. I mean, who's the real Jew, which is an ongoing problem. Um, and it's not only in the United States. I mean, I think in the women's movement, it was, it was because I did a lot of workshops on identity and stuff like that, and it was just always a problem. There was always, even when I was teaching at Barnard, you know, it was like interesting that young women would take the course, and you could almost see half of the, always the class kind of split in half. The more observant women thought that the others thought they weren't feminist enough because they were observant, and the feminist women thought that they weren't Jewish enough because they weren't observant. <laughs> so it was like, and even though they were all Jews, they sort of, everybody's looking at each other and kind of trying to figure, don't you think that's true? I mean, it's, a, it's an illness. It's really an illness. Um, and um, I don't know how you get away from it, but I mean, even now in political arguments, people say you're self-hating Jew, which is a, a, a sort of a measure of, of um, your Jewishness, if you're being accused of being self-hating, or even the definition of assimilation um, is so much has to do with the spectrum. I mean, what, is, what does it mean to assimilate and what's the difference between assimilation and acculturation? I mean, a lot of people don't 
So a lot of people would say I'm, I'm totally assimilated, A, because I don't speak Yiddish all the time, and I'm not observant, so, and I don't go to synagogue. I mean, how am I a Jew? Um, it's, it's an illness. It's a, it's a really boring question in many ways, you know? The whole authentic question about who, and who decides, and it depends also who's looking at you. The person who's looking at you has their own framework of what a Jew is. If you don't fit into that framework, you're not a Jew. Is Aktivist. <laughs> von eurem Leben und sind da voran Projekten, zu was ihr wollt sich gewollt umkehren und selber nähen oder beiten die Projekten oder Projekten, was ihr sind besonders besonders stolz von sei. I'm actually very proud of what I did with Yiddish and Yiddish women's literature because I think I was one of the first, if not the first, who actually started saying where are the Yiddish women writers. I translated in the 80s, started translating, translated not just, not, not poetry, I wasn't as interested in, because poetry was a little bit more well known. I mean, Rachel Korn was known, and, but um, like when we did the Tribe of Dina, which came out in 1986, there was a short story by Fadl Stock and there was a short story by Katya Molodovsky. I don't think that kind of prose had existed, you know, had even existed. And then working on, later on, Found Treasures and doing the introduction to Found Treasures and then writing, um, I wrote a long essay that they published in Bridges and they published a lot of the all the citations in Yiddish and the original Yiddish and in translation. Die Mamistus Lushen, um, Yiddish Guide Feminism in the Politics of Memory. And I'm very proud of that and because I think it just, I, I really feel like I helped move that along and move it into a kind of public arena that just didn't exist before. Um, and um, so I'm proud of that. I spent endless years on Middle East peace, which I, I can't say I regret it, but obviously nothing came of it. And it's been, and I've, I've talked to other people that have also devoted a lot of time, and it's very sad. I mean, I never thought I would see what's going on right now. So it's an interesting lesson in looking back. In fact, I read the introduction to that essay, De Mamas which I didn't remember because a friend of mine was teaching it. And she asked me to come to class, so I, I hadn't looked at it in like 25 years. And what I didn't remember, and that essay, I talked about four, four prominent Yiddish figures, intellectuals, Sala Schneere from the Beis Yankov movement, Anna Heller from uh, the Bundes, Gina Merem, the communist, and Kalia Molodowska, the writer. And, what, and that's what I remembered about the essay. What I didn't remember was the introduction I wrote in the early 90s, which was filled with incredible optimism. And really believing that almost the, the whole two-state solution was solved, that everything was solved in some way. And it was painful to read it like two weeks ago to realize how optimistic some of us were and how wrong we were, basically. Um, 
So, I mean, it's interesting because I, one of the things I always resented somehow the Middle East work in, in a certain sense because I felt it took me away from a lot of the Yiddish stuff that I wanted to do, translations, all kinds of research that I had wanted that I didn't get to do because I, was, because I felt it was really important to work on that. And so looking back on it, it's interesting because the two issues for me was how to balance the cultural work which I consider also political, but in a different way, with the most obvious contemporary political work. And I don't have an answer. I mean, I feel that that's a kind of question that I have right now. I mean, there's a lot of issues right now that I'm interested in. Like, I'm, I've been working sort of marginally with the Emergency Committee for Rojava. And, um, and, and you know, it's, an, it's how, to, how to decide how much time you give to something like that, whether you just totally plunge yourself into it. I mean, I think for a decade I did nothing else but Middle East work. And I didn't do, I didn't do a lot of my writing. And, and I just, I'm not saying this as a self-sacrifice. It's what I wanted to do. But it's a real question about judging what you should be doing and how you should be spending your time and what it is that's valuable about what you do. And I think also, when you get to be my age, you also put in the time factor in a way that you don't when you're 50. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 79 next year, so I'm, I'm getting up there. This uh, <laughs> and um, so that's also another factor for me that's different than it was when I was 50. And I thought, you know, well, I have another 34 years. I don't, I don't have that now. <clears throat> um, so I think, I mean, for me right now, I think is trying to get together. I'm very concerned about my kind of my archive. Of, I've been in a lot of organizations and um, I did a lot of work for, like I say, I was a new Jewish agenda and I started a committee called the Jewish Women's Committee to End the Occupation. And that was really important because it spread the word about women in black across the country. We weren't a national organization. We started, we were just a local. We wanted other people to, other women in other cities and other places to do what we were doing, which was to protest. And that was very successful, actually, in terms of getting people to much more aware of what was going on and about the women's movement in Israel and about the resistance in Israel. So I'm very, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of The Tribe of Dina. I thought it was a groundbreaking book in terms of um, just showing the, the variety of women. And I think we didn't, we just really tapped it like the first time. And um, we went over to Israel and interviewed a lot of women. And it was like the first time that their voices were heard here. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of I'm proud of a lot of that. I mean that work. I think it was pretty enduring. I think fan, the introduction to found treasures, all of that, um, is good. Uh, activism is a very tricky business. You know, you're judging the present. I mean, it's like I say about that introduction. At the time, it seemed that I was 25 years later. It looks very very different. You know, and it's um, it's a real lesson to learn. But there's not much, I mean, you only have what you have in the present. And you can't, you can't gain, I don't know what it's going to look like 25 years from now, you know? And you have to just risk it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's but it's, a, it's sobering. It's a sobering lesson. Um, 
and there's a lot to be done right now. I mean, it's what the hierarchy of things are, I suppose, is the planet, <laughs> because nothing else matters if the planet goes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Is wie er hat ermahnt, gewinnt speziell aktiv in der zweiten Qualie von Feminismus, befragt zwischen die jüdischen Frauen und auch zwischen die Lesbiankes. Is, kennt ihr das Zählen noch ein bisschen wegen der Kufe und wie soll man darum gerät, Jüdischkeit, Efscher? Und auch wegen die Schwierigkeiten, die man gehabt in die Gruppe ist, ein bisschen die Kriegereien, Efscher. Und mich wohl befragt, äh, interessiert zu hören, was sind ein bisschen die Unterschiede, was ihr seht zwischen jüdischen Feminismus heint und dem Alt. Weil einmal, wenn ich lehne, die Texte von dem Alt, seht mir euch sehr ähnlich, die in Janem. Was man redet darum, ein bisschen die Themen, es mm -hmm. darf sich mehr als man halt den sehr ähnlichen Ort noch aus. Okay, so I'll do the first. Um, one of the things that, when, when we did the Tribe of Dina, I wrote an essay called um, Yiddishkeit. Uh, I was, I ca it was called Secular Jewish Identity Yiddishkeit in America. And when we were going around with it, with the book, I was astounded at the response to that essay because what I, what I, people started, women started coming to me and saying, I, I always thought I was nothing. <laughs> and now I realize that maybe I'm something, but I'm not quite sure <laughs> what to do. And there were a lot of women who were coming, especially from the left, and this was both straight, you know, heterosexual and lesbian, which were the, our only two categories then, um, and who really had removed themselves in some way from the Jewish community. They were lefties, they were embarrassed by Israel, they weren't really, you know, they were kind of embarrassed by Hasidim, and they were, they were not exactly closeted Jews, but maybe a little bit. And to them, I was sort of, we, I mean, they had sort of not encountered somebody like me who was sort of in the left and sort of proclaiming, you know, her Jewishness. I mean, I wasn't on a bandwagon. But I was talking Yiddish and I was, you know, I was clearly Jewish. We had done also Nice Jewish Girls had come before that, the lesbian anthology, which Evie Beck did. So that sort of laid... And it was interesting to me, and they were they really wanted to, I mean, there, was, there seemed to be a desire to connect with something Jewish. And what I think I did was help them look for a way that was secular, that was non-observant, that was left and progressive, that took a stand on Israel, that, and that told them that they had some kind of a legacy over there. These were Ashkenazi women in Eastern Europe. And, that was like a big revelation. And that, their needs was the thing that pushed me to look further. Like, I wrote Dimamas to Sloshin partly for those kind of women that they were, as also I wanted it for Yiddishists to also recognize that they were. Um, so um, I think, um, I think that was going on. And there were a lot of, um, that was very interesting. I mean, I think, um, it gave people, women, a pathway into sort of back into the Jewish community, but not necessarily from the traditional ways that, you know, either Israel, Holocaust, or the synagogue. It was, it was different. Um, there were a lot of tensions around Israel, 
there was a lot of fights around Zionism, anti-Zionism, um, criticizing Israel, not criticizing Israel. Um, and um, it was some of it was quite ugly, some of it was anti-Semitic, some of it wasn't. Um, and there were tensions, I mean, within the movement. And there was a lot of, Ellie Balkan wrote a really good essay on this in, in a collection called Yours in Struggle, or In Struggle, I think it's called. She and Minnie Bruce Pratt and um, Barbara Smith um, all contributed essays to this. And she did a really good examination of what, was that, what went on in sort of women's newspapers and around the whole issue of Israel. And that was the, that was the hardest thing to deal with um, in terms of um, sort of the left part. Of, I mean, I was sort of in the left strand of the women's movement. Um, in fact, I remember when we, when Nice Jewish Girls was published, we had a scheduled a reading in women books on the Upper West Side. And it was exactly when um, the Sabra Shatila massacres occurred in Lebanon. I don't know if you not at the time it was and it was like this here we were making this declaration about Jewish lesbians and then there was this horror that involved Israel so that was that was not easy none of that was easy but the other part was that people were very women were very hungry to really um, connect with that and um, I mean one of the things that I did that was I think really good um, and was sort of amazing was in the 90s I was I had connections with National Council of Jewish Women and I convinced them to do a, a conference on women in Yiddish and it was it was sort of an amazing event in which I I, met, I I was like they knew nothing I mean these were these were very kind of I don't know how you characterize women in National Council so I won't um, uh, but they really knew nothing about Yiddish, and they, but they were willing, they, they sort of invested in me, they sort of trusted me to do it, and we worked on it for two years, I had a committee, we worked on it for two years. I invited every Yiddish person, that, I mean woman, that you could have on Yiddish at that time, it was the early 90s. And um, like 400 women showed up, I mean it was like amazing, <laughs> it was just amazing. Um, but it showed that there was this draw, you know, and it wasn't actually only like secular women. I mean, there were women who were observant in various degrees who were also wanting to feel that there was this kind, that there was a legacy that they felt that they wanted connect, to connect with. And it felt, um, it, it, it felt good. I mean, it, was, it felt like it was a good thing. It felt like it was enriching people's lives and that people were more grounded as a result of it. I think what's, I mean, I think this happens with everything. It's one of the things I think I learned. Um, I mean, when something's institutionalized, it loses something. It inevitably, I mean, I experienced this with women's studies. I, I mean, I taught my first women's studies class in 79 in Brooklyn College during a summer session. I mean, there were no departments or anything. Um, in the 90s, when I applied for a women's studies teaching job at a university, I was disqualified because I didn't have a degree in women's studies. I mean, think about that. This is what happens in an institution. 
And of course, there was no, it was impossible for me to have a degree. I had a degree in Victorian literature. <laughs> I mean, there was no women's, I mean, I had no women, I had two women teachers in 10 years of higher education, four years at City College and six years at the University of Chicago. And the two teachers were in City College, one was for one semester English and one semester of economics. Those are the only teachers I had for 10 years, women teachers. So when something gets institutionalized, I think in many ways, I mean, Yiddish has moved in that direction. I mean, the whole study of women in Yiddish has become a kind of small cottage industry. Um, I don't think, I think people go into it for academic reasons and professional reasons rather than what we were motivated. I mean, I wasn't the only one. There were people like, you know, Paul, um, Frida Foreman, you know, uh, Norma Fain Pratt. I mean, because there was a feminist kind of desire and push to, to open up this, this sort of, the, to break into the silence around Yiddish women. I don't think that motivates that many people right now. I think that's one of the major differences. So that um, you now have, I mean, your pe people are published in uh, maybe more mainstream magazines. Books are published by university presses. I mean, The Tribe of Dina and Nice Jewish Girls and um, Found Treasures were all published by feminist presses. You know, afterwards, Nice Jewish Girls and um, the Tribadina was picked up by Beacon, but the first issue came out of a lesbian magazine. It was a special issue of a lesbian magazine. Um, so I think there is a difference, and I think the way it's written about is different because I think there's, uh, there was a kind of passion that I think has now become you're not supposed to be passionate when you're an academic, right? I mean, you're supposed to be distant. And so I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with you that there's not much difference. I think it's, um, I like, that's one of the reasons I like, by the way, in Geveb, because I think it's sort of in between a little bit. And I think there is that kind of, not totally, I mean, they have that very academic, in there, but they, they seem to be a little bit looser than the usual academic, like, you know, and, PMLA or whatever. Um, so it means something different. Now it's just, I think, it's turned into much more of a um, academic endeavor than, let's say, a commitment. I mean, uh, none of us that did any of this, I mean, Evie Beck or Frida Foreman, and none of us got promotions or, I mean, it, there was no, the rewards were different. Um, so I don't know, I mean, I think some, some part of it makes me sad, part of it makes me feel glad that it's in fact incorporated, but I do feel that I wish that that passion and that commitment to feminism was there, not just, well, I found a, I found a book by a woman and I'll translate it, and that's great, I mean, it's a, it's a good contribution because we need that, but I wish it was contextualized in a different way, maybe. And do you think that's too harsh, or do you agree with me? Because you said you didn't see any difference. Well, I have asked you about Jewish feminism and the, I don't know, the schmussen, was halt dort, is sehr sehr unterschieden zwischen die Aktivisten. Oh, 
auch zwischen der Aktivität. Heint und Frieren. No, ich wie weiß man das nicht, kennt, Heint und Frieren. Ich, das weiß ich nicht. Weil ich, es ist schon nicht eine Bewegung. Es friert das Gewinn. Ja, klar, aber das ist ganz. Und euch, I don't have that much contact. I mean, you're, that's a generational divide. Because I don't really know. I'm not in on. I mean, maybe if I hung, hung around with Jessica and Anna and you, you know, for a couple of weeks, we could see what the differences are, you know? Maybe I, I think I'm too old, too. <laughs> you know, or Zoe, you know, Zoe Kelman, uh, who I know. I mean, I know a few young people that I consider young. I mean, Aggie, you know, Aggie, and you know, Zoe, and I don't know Jessica, but I haven't, um, I, I just, I don't, I think it's, you know, I don't, I don't know how they talk about it. Like I haven't really had a group, con it would be an interesting thing to have a group conversation about it. Um, and I'm not sure, we were really fighting a battle. I'm not sure if they're fighting a battle. Are they fighting a battle? I'm not sure. Is there a battle to be fought? I mean, it was In terms of feminism or women? I mean, to me, just re sometimes reading texts from the 70s, as you were mentioning, the fights around Zionism, anti-Zionism, racism, to me are very reminiscent to many op-eds I read in the paper today mm -hmm. or in the forward around mm -hmm. issues, for example, surrounding the Women's March. And to me, the yeah. tone and the discussion is almost the same and seems no. to not have shifted very much, even though it's been yeah. several decades. Yeah, but I mean, Well, it's interesting because like one of those big struggles that we had was, for example, with the Women's Studies um, Association of trying to get a Jewish panel on. I mean, it was like a big fight that Evie Beck fought for years, and finally there was one. <laughs> um, so in some ways, I, I think the anti-Zionism thing has definitely stayed. But I don't think, is there much, is it, do you think that there's a struggle about anti-Semitism, I mean, sort of, a sort of combined anti-Semitism and anti-feminism thing? In what way? Well, for, I mean, there were, it were, there were two things going on. For, so, for example, in the, in the 70s, in early 80s, I heard about struggles about dissertations. For example, Tilly Olson didn't write enough to have a you know, dissertation, for example. It wasn't worthy of a dissertation. Um, and then there were these topics whether even what women wrote about was worthy. Of, that's not a problem anymore, yeah. it seems. That's been, sort of, yeah. that's been much more yeah. mainstream. And I think there was also that in the Yiddish world, I mean, in the Jewish world, I think there was um, uh, a, a real resistance, I think, to a feminist um, perspective. I mean, my, my impression has always been, just from speaking and whatever, that you couldn't say that there was sexism, you know, with this, with, <laughs> with, um, um, I'm, having a I'm having a blank for a second, with uh, Shalom Aleichem or Peretz, or give me the third one. Mendela. <laughs> Mendela. Um, you couldn't say that there was sexism in their work. It was almost, I always had the feeling that, I said this in, in this speech actually, <laughs> that 
I always, I always had that feeling that those three were the only men in like 10,000 years of human history that were never sexist. <laughs> they were the only ones. I mean, you couldn't say anything about them. <laughs> you couldn't, because they pointed out to this story that was pro-feminine. And it was like nobody, I mean, my experience always was that people who fought racism did racist things, you know, that were, were saturated with biases. Nobody comes out pure. I mean, no matter to your best, you know. And there was such resistance to, you know. I remember standing up one time at a on a panel, and I was just I wanted to talk about Friedel Stark, and I was interrupted and said, "Oh, we're going to hear another victim story." <laughs> so I think to some degree that's gone at this point. It's sort, of, but I think it's been gobbled up by the academia because now it's seen as a way for somebody to find some woman or something, and now we can maybe give you tenure. <laughs> I feel like tenure is not that popular anymore. Well, that's not that popular. Well, maybe a promotion. Small promotion. <laughs> a small promotion. A little promotion. But it's, it did get hooked into academia. I mean, that's what I meant when I started yeah. saying when things become institutionalized, yeah. they lose something. So maybe it's not tenure anymore and whatever. <laughs> um, not that I ever had any, but I never had it, so... Um, so I don't know what the discussions were. I mean, I think there's a lot of other things, that, you know, like transgender stuff, which was not a major issue when I was, you know, in second wave. Um, the whole notion of multiculturalism, I mean, came out of the second wave, and we sort of, I mean, Melanie and I try to do that in, in the tribe of Dina. I try to sort of pay attention to that. Um, so I don't know what that discussion would be. I mean, the only thing I... I know is that um, what I saw at Barnard with young people, really young people, these are not people out of college yet, um, that they were struggling. I mean, that they struggled. I mean, when I first came to Barnard, feminism was a really dirty word. I think it regained a little bit of, um, and the second wave was very much looked down upon as sort of very retro and all of that. Um, so I, I think the terms have changed, and of course some of the problems have changed And also. I mean, now there's, we define things very differently and it's, it's just not the same world. So we've established certain things, but then other things crop up, so. There's always something to fight about. I mean, you know, I, told, I used to tell my students, nobody gets it completely right. You all think that you now have it all right because we did something and you corrected it. We did something wrong, you corrected it. Now you think everything is right. No, you know, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, somebody's gonna show you what you forgot. <laughs> and that's the way it works. You know, we don't all get it right. We never get it right because it's, it's, a, it's a fractured world. It's a really broken world, so. Efshar Farantsov is what the Galand Epis Nice of Yiddish over on the plect and I am a Habe Epis Nice Galand of English as what Ibergesetz. Cook the Royce of Epis. No, my big, my, uh, one of my, um, um, how do you put it, one of my mine causes is. Hava Rosenfrog. I don't feel like she's gotten enough attention. I mean, I just, it enrages me. And I think she's one of the great, great writers of the 20th century. I really do. I don't, 
without exaggeration. And I wish in the Yiddish world she, today, I mean, she's won every prize you could win. I mean, it's incredible to me that, that you know, she's not taught more, focused on more. I think whole courses should be given on her. I really do. I mean, I think she's a major, major figure. And um, so that's a pet thing of mine most recently. Um, and for people can read her in Yiddish, but they can also read her in English. Goldie just took it, put out her essays. Um, her short stories are in, um, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't know if I have the collection of short stories in Yiddish, but I have all the other stuff in, in Yiddish. Um, and a lot's been translated of hers. I mean, it's amazing also that I wish also that people would start giving whole courses on Yiddish women writers because there's now so much that has been translated that I think that deserves, um, that's my next project is to try to make up a syllabus for a complete Yiddish course. You should submit to Ingevab. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I am thinking about doing that. I'm going to talk to Jessica about it, actually. Okay, it's Zuhörer von Ingeweb, Leant Arina Klepfisches, Poesia, Essayen, Leant Chava Rosenfarb, auf Yiddish und auf Englisch. Und seid mir gesagt. You don't know me. I'm not just one of your many toys. Dank euch, unsere Zuhörer, Sora Kiritescu, Irina Klepfitsch und Sosia Fox. Ich heiße Mirla Erhardt und das ist Weiberteitsch. Seid gesund!